Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we're giving you an instant coffee cast for the season four premiere, A Flock of Lost Birds. Written by Sierra Gamble and directed by Chris Fisher, Brian takes a friend out for ice cream. Wow, that's the synopsis. (laughs) I guess they really didn't want to give anything away. Of course. (laughs) Now, this is an instant coffee episode. We do this every so often. It's exactly how it sounds. It's right after we finish watching it. It's late at night. We're going to give you a quick response, a little bit of background, and then come back at you later on this week with a full review. Yeah, so in this episode, we're just going to briefly go over where we left off in season three. I know a lot happened. I had to brush up on some of the details and finer points. And we'll catch up with where the entire group is now. What are our main thoughts on this episode and where we're coming back in season four? Everything else will be in the full review cast, including a breakdown of our new faces and places, our complete plot overview, our rating for the episode on a scale of one to ten, and our most valuable magician, our MVM for the episode where Jason and I vote, but we also put a poll up so the Clatchers can participate and tell us who they thought was the most valuable character this episode. That's right. So if you're not following us yet, we are at CKC Podcast. After every episode, we give you a poll and open up the water cooler for your comments and we discuss it in our full reviews. So every week, we try to get our reviews out as quickly as possible. This time around, Christina has late night classes that she's teaching Thursday nights. So we won't be able to record till Friday night after work. But I'm going to work my ass off and get it up by Saturday for the reviews. So regular schedule, you have your Magicians episodes on Wednesday nights and your CKC podcast coverage on Saturdays. We take a little longer because we do go in-depth with our research. If you're not that familiar with Coffee Clatch Crew, welcome. So happy you found us. You're officially a Clatcher. We go into information that you might not have known, fun facts about the characters, the plot lines, the tie-ins to the book series. Of course, we save things like that for a spoiler section. And included in that, towards the end of the full review cast, we do a character breakdown. One important character each episode, we do a deep dive look, and we talk about what's coming up in our next episode. Don't worry, no spoilers here on the instant cast for what lies ahead, just for this episode. If you haven't seen the season premiere yet, this is your chance. Go watch it and come back. All right, Jason, are you ready for the quick rundown of where we left off in season three? I am, and I am in dire need. I did go back and watch the season in its entirety on Netflix, just to remember, because we've reviewed a bunch of shows since then. And I got to tell you, watching it again, without having to take notes and without having to worry about details, I enjoyed it even more. If you haven't listened to our full season three coverage... The biggest notes we left off with last time were that season three was the best season yet of The Magicians in a show where we absolutely loved one and two. We love the source material. They just keep getting better. If we had one complaint, it was that they tried to fit too much into one season, which, you know, isn't really a bad thing, but we moved at quite the breakneck pace. There is a lot to talk about. We're going to cover the main points here. If you want a full overview on everything that happened last season, please go check out our season three, episode 13 review, which was Will You Play With Me? It's pretty lengthy and we cover everything. 
Also, I was a little emotional, so please just, uh, you know, ignore that. No, you worked through it. It was good I therapy. I did, towards the end. If you're just looking for the quick version, here we go. The big theme of last season was the seven keys. At the end of our tale, we reached chapter eight, which told the crew about the castle at the end of the world. We found out Calypso, or Callie, was the architect who created Castle Blackspire, which exists in the upside down of Fillory. Fillory's actually flat. I told you there's going to be spoilers. It was a secure prison to keep the world safe from the monster inside. Prometheus had created the perfect jailers, humans who had to undergo a quest to become the right people. The group contacted Aura, the current jailer, and went to Blackspire, where they found the monster, a childlike creature with an insatiable want. If it was ever unleashed, even the gods couldn't stop it. Of course, we know it did get out inside of Elliot. Will you play with me? That continues to be awesome in this episode, even though we only got brief glimpses. What about Julia? She had decided not to kill Reynard with the god-killing bullet. She healed Dean Fogg's eyes and was turned into a goddess, temporarily Our Lady of the Tree. She started her training under Iris, and against dire warnings, she left to help the group at Castle Blackspire. Alice, believing magic makes people bad, had been working with the library all season to keep it from others. They told her the siphon they intended to use needed great power, so she planned to steal it from Julia. She started destroying the keys, at which point Julia sacrificed her power to create new keys, releasing a new wellspring of magic. We'll see where that puts Julia this season. Well, yeah. We're hoping that this season will be Alice's redemption season, and I really hope Dean Fogg's redemption season. It seems like those arcs are already being set up here, maybe? I believe so. Last... I almost said semester, but it kind of works. <laughs> Break bills. Last season, we saw Dean Fogg. I love the acting. We saw him depressed, super blind, because he no longer had magic, and how he's dealing with that with alcohol. Then we saw a weird Dean Fogg in the other world. Timeline 23. And then in the end, we saw him kind of turn face on our crew, which was so compelling knowing season one, where Dean Fogg kept going over and over and over in his own timeline for this crew to defeat the beast. You were so mad at him. I was. I was angry. But I'm ready and willing to forgive if he can just help us out. Well, speaking of Dean Fogg, as soon as they accomplished getting the siphon in place, he and Irene, who had also been helping the library, showed up and implanted it to divert the flow. He also forced the rest of the group to take his experimental potion, which wipes your memory and creates a whole new persona. But we're learning now, it's not just that. It seems like he's trying to protect them. He's changing the way they look, changing their personas. No one can cast a spell on them or else they pretty much almost die. They burn their hands and they can't tut for a little while. Well, it's anytime they're trying to get knowledge about magic. Anytime they're getting closer to the truth, he thwarts them. So hopefully they don't discover it. Yeah, that's the vice versa of the spell. If they get discovered, they are in trouble because Elliot Monster is out there. But I was speaking Hunting in re- them. Yeah. But I was speaking in regards when we saw a spell with, that was trying to be cast on Katie slash Sam. Well, last season we also saw that Breakbills, like other schools, was up and running, but their magic rations were inadequate. Alice, who has made her deal, now belongs to the library. She was being kept in a cell and looking like Cassandra. She still is. Though she had concerns about the monster and the group. Meanwhile, the crew was left out in the human world, having forgotten they are magicians. We'll get back to them in a second. Fillory had its first democratic election, voting Margot as their leader, but with her gone, Fen was acting high king. The fairies kept getting stolen by Irene, so the fairy queen made a new deal, sacrificing herself in exchange that no fairy could be hunted anywhere, and the deal could never be broken. 
Penny 40 was stuck in the underworld and had just accepted a cupcake. We have yet to find out what's going on with that. We also don't know where Poppy, Victoria, and Harriet are. Of course, we saw them last time in Season 3, trapped inside the smashed mirror bridge. Alright, let's go over for a second these alternate personas we see for our group. At the end of last season, they were thrust out into the real world. We've seen this happen before. It happens repeatedly in the book series. But unlike last season, where they knew they had magic and they were depressed because it had been stolen from them, the plumbers had shut it off, who were they if not magicians? This time, they think they're just humans going about their daily life. Margot, or Janet, fun wink wink, is a fashion magazine editor. Josh, or Isaac, is an Uber driver. Katie, or Sam, is a narcotics officer. Penny is DJ Hansel. Julia is Kim, an architect for Center of the Arts, although that goes further. More on that later. And Quentin is Brian, or Bry Guy the English Professor, with Elliot the Monster in tow. We also hear talks about another character called Nigel, a bastard son of a British lord. Am I missing something? Do you know who he is? No, not yet. Everyone from the group is accounted for, right? Well, to be honest, I still haven't really digested the episode, so I don't know at this point. We can sit on that, but that'll be a lot of fun if we're actually introducing a new character. It seems like this comic book is going to be our new Tale of the Seven Keys, the instructive guide for our magicians. To me, it looks more like a graphic novel. Big difference. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm very sorry. What do you think, though? Their new map to figuring out who they are and how they got here? I like it. I like it. Um, it's maybe a little too close to last season because they had a book that they were using as a map to figure things out. But um, I'm not trying to get too critical at this point. It's fun to me. They have to move along. We have to accept that, that with the magicians, they're going to move along fast. And this is a good catalyst to get the magicians all together again. I mean, come on, how often have we complained that the crew is never together when they were the magicians? And now they're actually working to get the whole crew together. So maybe uh, this is exactly what we wanted. And potentially written by one of them. Maybe it's a little confusing. We'll dive more into that in the full episode. It's written by another Cunningham. And Katie Sam realizes right away that it tells them all about their lives. She goes to Margot. That's how she gets Margot in on the deal. Well, I like the fact that Sam is the one that's figuring it out. She's the detective. So she would have the cunning to find the clues, Mm -hmm. piece it together, find the people that the clues are pointing to and get them together. But she doesn't have the money. Margot, Janet, has the means at this point. She might get in trouble, but uh, she has the means to fly them all there. Well, she's getting away with it by saying, well, DJ Hansel's here. (laughs) Come on, this is our big new spread. That part was a little bit fast for me. They went very slow with Katie uncovering Mark the Hedgewitch, tracking down the star and keyhole symbol, and being thwarted by what we realize later is Dean Fogg's protective magic. But as soon as she finds that graphic novel, it's a bunch of quick jumps and getting Margot on board and getting all of the group together. I'm happy, though, if they're just setting up the chess pieces early so they have a lot more time to unfold things slowly, which was sort of a criticism for me last season. I have to warn you that I believe you have to let go of that with this show. Nothing is done slowly. It's going to be quick, quick, quick. Yes, but for the first time nearing the end of last season, it felt like it was a little bit at the expense of some of the character building we had been doing, sacrificing some of their key traits. Mm. They do a great job 
at moving at a fast pace and keeping it interesting without suffering those sacrifices. It was just a little blip on the radar last time. So I'm hoping that we bring that back around here. You know, The Magicians does such a good job, or Sci-Fi does such a good job with advertising for this show. It got me hyped months ago. And as it got closer and closer, just like Game of Thrones, it gets you more and more hyped. They reminded us with that fun clip of our crew, The Magicians in Cars. I forget the name of it, but basically it's a play on uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. Mm -hmm. And it's all of their alter egos getting into an Uber with Josh. And it was so fun. And you can see a lot of it was ad-libbed. I loved it. But that's the first time I realized, oh, Katie's character is not a drug dealer. It's an undercover cop. Yeah, they misled us purposely. And as you say, by having our group together, not only is it more exciting, they don't have to spend as much time as they do when they're broken up. We are able to go a little slower with the Dean Fogg break bill story and, of course, what's happening at the library and with Alice. We see at break bills, because of this shortage of magic, they're taking new applicants in batches. And Kimber is being given a shot against her test results. Dean Fogg fights for her, despite the fact she herself thinks she was smart on the outside, but she's actually being called a squib here. Turns out this is Julia. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm super confused about that whole storyline. How so? He wants to keep the entire group on the outside, not knowing they have magic to keep them protected. And yet he's breaking that rule when it comes to Julia Ah. and taking her under his wing because he feels guilty about leaving her out on the outside last time. Maybe. Well, yes, that's what he told her in so so many words. He was describing it as a past student. And this is a stretch here, and we always have to stretch a little bit in the beginning of seasons because we don't have too much information to fall back on. But I think she was possibly in more trouble out there because there was an energy that was coming off of her that people were starting to notice. Dean Fogg didn't even notice Kimber. It was Professor Lipson. She said she noticed he broke the... She broke the... crystal i believe it was or something those little lenses she looks through that kind of reveal things yeah and then we saw it with our own eyes with dean fogg it breaks his and he's not even telling her that's right lipson that that's who it is but if julia is safer there in theory you would think the entire group would be safer there couldn't he do this for all of them well what i'm getting at is that there's a power in her that someone's going to notice that his magic that he did to hide everyone he's not able to sustain with her. Oh, for sure. She's in more immediate danger, but we do find out he believes they are all in danger, and it's only a matter of time before the protective enchantments he's put around them break. He tells Zelda when that happens, their blood will be on your hands. He actually thinks they're going to die out there. We're back to, I don't know, maybe they're, he couldn't get away with that, hiding them all in the school, but it feels a little like favoritism. <laughs> what about everyone else? Freaking Quentin is walking around with the monster. Doesn't anyone care that he's out there on the outside in dire circumstances? Although it seems like the monster really likes Quentin. He doesn't like anyone else, but he wants him there to entertain him. Well, he likes Quentin as long as Quentin goes along with it. And you see he has to lick the ice cream. He has to really be his puppet. Yeah. Which we saw at the end of last season. That's the way this god is. It's a being that needs. It's very emotional. It's the worst of humans. And is willing and able to kill for literally almost no reason. We were worried about that. He's also off on a new game to track down some man at a temple in Greece that we don't know who that is. Nope. And then he's on to the group. 
It's all very intriguing. One last thing about Dean Fogg is that we have to remember he does not have magic, quote unquote. He's dealing with the same siphon of magic being given to him. So he's in quite a corner at this point. One could say it's self-made because he made this happen, but uh, there's definitely more to be learned of why he did it and what he's doing now and what his plans are. So you're back to defending him? I want him to be good. Uh, uh, <laughs> I told you, I'm, I'm wanting, I'm needing him to rectify everything. Well, even the library has their limits. We do see they are pretty much running things. They're in charge. He's having to bring paperwork there. He's trying to tell Zelda he's worried about the group and she's just placating him, brushing him off. She finally says they have to stay where they are because if they resurface, Irene will try to silence them and she can't stop her. They have agreements with the McAllisters as well. Man, I don't even want to get into that now. We've definitely seen some of that last season. I'm not excited that they're players again in season four. So as of now, we have two big bads. We have the librarian, Zelda in particular, who has this regime, this ideal. The order. Yeah, the order. Yeah, right away when you hear that, you're thinking, okay, here we go. They believe they are fighting for what's good and right. That magic can be dangerous. They have to protect people from that, protect them from the knowledge. And they're serving a higher purpose. We see when she's trying to recruit Alice. Yes, they have her locked up, but they really want her to come over to their way of thinking and serve them. We've said this in many podcasts with many shows. Most bad guys actually believe they're doing good. And this is definitely the case with Zelda in the library. And at least there's good about them. Perhaps that's why Dean Fogg keeps going along with this. Hmm. It's his only chance to make things right by working with them. Because on the other side of it, you do have the truly bad of the McAllisters. That's right. So I guess we have three bads because the third one would be the monster. Yeah. Well, that's the fillery bad, (laughs) the way I think about it. The magical bad. We'll come back to that in a second. We mentioned Alice, who's being locked in this cell. Zelda telling her she could rise to the level of a master when she's ready, but she just wants to get out. She's very worried about the group. She's been communicating with the man next door to her through the grate, who understands her plight and turns out to be Santa Claus. That's so cool. What? I love it. You love it? I do. I hate it. I love him. I think he's great. The actor is phenomenal. And really, his backstory is pretty incredible. We're going to look a lot deeper to that in the full review. Here we see they are trying to work together to figure out a way out of here. And Alice thinks she's devised a plan. Somehow using a cockroach? Um, My ignorant thought on that, and again, we haven't had time to give much thought to all these details, is that uh, cockroaches know how to get in and out of everywhere. And if she can find a way to talk to the cockroach or... um, utilize the cockroach to find out how to get out maybe Mm -hmm. that's her way out i mean we've had bunnies who talk maybe she's thinking this is a there's definitely going to be some kind of hive mind because we hear in the very beginning when the two random librarians are walking by her cell that there's been a lot of cockroaches around there lately Mm. well at least they're not moths the last point i want to get to here we had a character pop in and out of this episode we never really expected to see again i'm talking about ember oh i thought you were going to say todd (laughs) Oh, him too. Trying to be the new Elliot. I love it. Oh, I love it. Well, it's some version of Ember anyhow. It's an emanation, he says, set to trigger a warning at a specific time. It keeps trying to track down the new High King, who looks an awful lot like a female. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I loved Ember as a character. Well, I mean, he was a bad guy. 
but I loved him as a character on TV. I've missed him. Yeah, it's great to see him back. This is more of a alarm system, and it sounds like Margot set that up. High King Margot. Oh, that I never thought about. Definitely a version of him. Or maybe not Margot. Maybe I'm speaking out of Sort of like a copy left over to give a recording. And all he's concerned about, it's very Ember-like. This is why I say I'm not sure if it was Margot, is fix Fillory. I don't Mm. care how you do it. And by the way, little boy, you look a lot like a woman, but okay, whatever. I'm fine with it. Well, I love the fact that her pajamas were all kittens. And there was Ember with all these kittens on top of them. Yeah, so definitely some kind of manifestation of her psyche, but it's real enough that by the end of the episode, when this emanation realizes the problem is Margot stuck on Earth, it transports her back to Fillory. This is a total Ember move. (laughs) That it doesn't remove the memory wipe or bring her personality back. So she has no idea what she's doing in this strange place. Classic fun TV right there. And she's being followed. We're going to meet some sort of new creature next time. Oh, yeah, that creepy hand. So fun. I'm so glad that The Magicians is back into our lives. And I can't wait for Saturday for our full review. I also can't wait to see what's going on in Fillory with Fen. Presumably she's still acting high king. What is going on over there? There's so many unanswered questions. We know that you're probably thinking we haven't gotten to the half of it. I know that's the instant cast. We have a lot more still on our brains. We're going to continue processing. If you have questions and comments, please write in and let us know so we can bring it up in the full review. You can email us, contact at Coffee Clatch Crew, or on Twitter at CKC Podcast. Message us there, Facebook, Coffee Clatch Crew, all the social media. Get in touch. We love to talk with the Clatchers and have a conversation. The digital water cooler is real and the magic is back. And don't forget to vote for your MVM, the most valuable magician of the episode on our poll. We gave you all characters that are helping our main group this time. Your options are Dean Fogg, Alice, Marina, and Ember. Whatever version of Ember that is. And helping in their own ways. May not seem like helping, but nudging... Some kind of angle Guiding, of working behind the <laughs> scenes. I mean, you know, Marina, she has her ups and her downs, but she's trying to figure it out, right? So we hope to see you back this weekend. If you like what you hear, rate and review our podcast. It only helps us out. And tell your friends about us. Tell them that they don't have to only live the magicians once a week. They can have it twice a week with the CKC podcast. So till Saturday, this round's on me. This round is on me. <laughs> Please hang up and try again.